What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Thursday, January 11th, 2024. Scott Ritter returns to our cameras directly from Moscow in Russia, and he's accompanied by Alexander Zhiryanov, uh, his friend and colleague, who is the director of a Russian development corporation, the translator, the very able translator whose English is superb, is Pavel Ezhov. Uh, who was with us last time. So Scott, uh, Alexander, Pavel, uh, welcome back to uh, Judging Freedom. I, I was quite surprised and pleased, uh, Alexander, uh, to hear what you told me before we started the show. And that is that the show we did last week was seen by over a million people in Moscow. Александр, мне очень понравилось и удивило то, что вы сказали, что прошлую нашу передачу посмотрело более миллиона человек в Москве. Да, добрый день, господин Наполитана. Я также рад приветствовать всю вашу многочисленную аудиторию. Судя по комментариям, она по всему миру. Я видел комментарии из Новой Зеландии, из Франции, из множества других стран. Good afternoon, Judge. It's good to be with you again, and I would like to welcome your audience. It seems that uh, you've got people from all over the world. I saw in the comments that there are people from New Zealand and France and other countries as well. Да, и я видел перевод вашей передачи. Только я увидел на трех каналах. На двух это было больше трехсот тысяч, и на одном было пятьсот пятьдесят тысяч. То есть я думаю, что на самом деле это значительно больше. Думаю, порядка полутора миллионов россиян посмотрели предыдущую вашу передачу. And I've seen translations of the previous show on at least two channels, and on one of them there were 300,000 views, on the other one there were 550,000 views, but those are only two channels, so I guess in total we could think that more than one and a half million Russians have seen the show. Well, this, is, uh, this is very gratifying, and it's, it's in large measure to the popularity of Major Scott Ritter among the Russian people. Ну, что же, это очень отрадно. Уверен, что отчасти это объясняется популярностью Скотта Риттера среди российских э, зрителей. Да, конечно, но это в то же время и показывает, насколько велик у россиян запрос на диалог с американцами, на чтобы люди знали их точку зрения, и диалог между нашими странами был. Yes, but I guess it also points to the fact that uh, the Russians are very willing to engage in a dialogue with Americans uh, to convey their views and to have this dialogue between the two nations. 
You know, Scott, that's a very interesting um, statement that uh, Alexander uh, just made. You've been making that statement for the two years that you've been on this show. There should be no animosity whatsoever between the Russian people and the American people, and therefore there should be no animosity between the Russian government and the American people, but the, the, uh, or between the Russian government and the American government. But the present American government under Joe Biden has attempted to demonize the Russian government, Scotty. Not just the Russian government, but demonize the Russian people. The, uh, the disease of Russophobia is uh, rampant in the United States. We, uh, you know, we, we've bought into this notion that the Russian people are somehow culturally inferior to us. Judge, I, I went on Christmas, I went to uh, the, the uh, ballet in St. Petersburg to watch uh, Peter Tchaikovsky's uh, Nutcracker uh, Suite. Uh, it was written by Tchaikovsky, a Russian composer. Uh, it was initially performed in St. Petersburg in 1892. It's, about, it's a Christmas story. So to see Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker in St. Petersburg on Christmas Day not only was one of you know ultimate highlights of my life, but it just underscores that Russia is a nation of deep cultural uh, traditions. They, these are not uh, local yokels who run around with bears and uh, you know roll around the snow naked, uh, although they do that too. Uh, but they, uh, these are people that have. <laughs> Uh, a, a level of culture that's unimaginable. Uh, their history is, is, is as deep as the day is long. And we disrespect them when we treat them as anything less than this unique uh, culture, this unique people. You know, and Americans can learn so much from the Russians and Russians can learn so much from Americans. We Do are- the Russian people understand uh, that the neocons... Uh, and the and the war party uh, in Congress have just chosen Russia as the uh, as the enemy with which to uh, uh, whip up the enrichment of the military industrial complex. Do they understand this is a government decision and not a decision of the American people? There's no doubt. Every Russian I've met has said that they make a sharp distinction between the American government and the American people. That they have no problems whatsoever with the American people. But what they do say is, while they know that that's what the American government doing, they don't understand why. They don't understand why the American government uh, is behaving in this fashion, because it's illogical. It doesn't advance American interests. The more we beat up on Russia, the more we sanction Russia, the more we try to target Russia through proxies like Ukraine, uh, the weaker America gets and the stronger Russia gets. And the Russians just don't understand what's, what's the reason behind this. I tried to explain to them that you can't view this from the lens of geopolitics. You have to view this from the lens of domestic American politics. Right. That's where, of course, things get insane because America right now politically is, is a clown show. I, I hate to say that, but it's the truth. Well, uh, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, but uh, two or three days ago, two professors from Stanford published a piece uh, called uh, Ukraine's Path to Victory. Now, this is crazy and fanciful. There, there is no path to victory for Ukraine. Isn't that true? Aren't they almost literally on their last legs as we speak? Ukraine is on their last legs. Even if we infuse them with money, there's no, there's no amount of money that can reverse 
uh, the strategic defeat that Russia has inflicted, not only on Ukraine, but the collective West. That includes the United States, uh, NATO, the European Union. Uh, the entire Western world ganged up on Russia, thinking that they, were, they had found a weak target. Uh, they thought that they could destroy Russia's economy. Alexander Zirianov is uh, the, one, a, a man who's largely responsible for the economic um, vitality of the Novosibirsk region, the third largest city, one of the wealthiest regions in Russia. It's thriving today despite all of the sanctions. And this is happening not just in Novosibirsk, it's happening everywhere in Russia. We have failed in our policy to sanction Russia. And then militarily, you know, uh, there's not a serious military analyst out there right now that can say with a straight face that uh, the Russian military uh, is weaker than the American military or any Western military. The Russian military today is the literally the strongest military on the face of the earth because of what the United States has done in Ukraine. We have compelled Russia to re-examine its military, to learn from its mistakes, to uh, to improve its capabilities. And today, it's the, the most capable, combat-hardened, experienced fighting force uh, in the world, thanks to the United States. Alexander, do you agree with this? Uh, is the Russian military stronger today than it was uh, two years ago when the special military operation began? Александр, вы согласны с этим утверждением, что российская армия сегодня сильнее, чем два года назад, когда началась специальная военная операция? Да, конечно, согласен. И, ну, вы знаете, как всегда говорят, что самая сильная армия – та, которая воюет. Конечно, она приобрела определенный опыт, произошло обновление вооружения с учетом практики, которая, ну, тех столкновений, которые были учтены, все ошибки. И я считаю, что да, сейчас наша армия – это номер один армия в мире. Yes, of course I would agree. As the saying goes, the strongest army is the army that uh, is uh, fighting in a war. So, of course, uh, we have uh, taken account of the experience that we have generated. We have upgraded our um, weapons and uh, we have uh, taken into account the practice. So, yes, I guess um, Russia could be seen as the strongest army currently because of uh, the um, combat experience that we've had. You, um, Alexander, um um, manage a lot of the development, economic development, uh, in the third uh, richest region uh, in Russia. Have you had uh, difficulty getting uh, supplies and have you had difficulty getting investors uh, since President Biden uh, imposed sanctions? Александр, вы управляете экономическим развитием в регионе, который является э, третьим по благосостоянию в России. Скажите, пожалуйста, сталкиваетесь ли вы с какими-либо сложностями в э, привлечении поставок или в привлечении инвестиций с тех пор, как э, президент США Джо Байден ввел экономические санкции? Да, с определенными сложностями мы сталкиваемся. У нас сейчас идет так много инвестиций, что мы с трудом уже находим участки земли, обеспеченной инфраструктурой, чтобы размещать новые заводы и предприятия. Но это приятные сложности, мы с ними справляемся. Yes, we do come across some difficulties, and the difficulties are that we are having a hard time finding new land plots that uh, have um, infrastructure on which uh, we could put new uh, plants. But these uh, difficulties are only pleasant. We are happy that we're having them. What, what, what did the sanctions accomplish from the American perspective? Nothing? Um, к чему вы считаете привели санкции для американской стороны? Можно ли сказать, что они ни к чему не привели? 
В отношении России они ни к чему не привели, они привели к обратному эффекту, мы только увереннее себя чувствуем, наша экономика находится на подъеме, а в отношении глобального мира, я думаю, что Америка подорвала свое влияние, потому что другие страны, глядя на то, как нарушаются международные законы, когда Америка односторонне вводит санкции, конечно, тоже будут задумываться о том, с кем, ну, кого брать свои партнеры, и, конечно, они будут стараться вести более самостоятельную экономическую политику, чтобы не зависеть от односторонних санкций США. In terms of Russia, I'm confident that uh, the sanctions have achieved nothing. If anything, they only had the opposite effect because we are now feeling more confidence and our economy is on the rise. But globally, um, I guess what uh, the U.S. was able to achieve is only to undermine its influence because of these unilateral sanctions. Um, it's, uh, or other countries, um, its partners are now looking at what the U.S. are doing and start thinking maybe they should be more cautious in and choosing their partners because they one day may become the targets of such unilateral sanctions as well. Ну и сейчас, я думаю, вы знаете, что доллар все-таки была основная резервная мировая валюта для многих стран. Сейчас, когда страны смотрят, как суверенный долг России, практически 300 миллиардов рублей заморожен, абсолютно незаконно, конечно, страны будут стараться постепенно избавляться от доллара, что тоже нанесет Америке экономический ущерб. And the U.S. dollar has been uh, the major reserve currency, but now as the world is seeing that uh, 300 billion U.S. dollars worth of Russian reserves have been um, frozen without any legitimate reason, they would start thinking twice. Maybe they shouldn't be keeping all of their reserves right. in the U.S. dollars. That would also weaken that currency. Do the uh, people in Moscow still smile at each other when they say, thank you, Joe Biden? Скажите, люди в Москве улыбаются ли, когда они благодарят Джо Байдена за все вот это, что он сделал? Да, они улыбаются, я могу это подтвердить. Yes, they do. I can confirm that. Not just in Moscow, Judge, in all of Russia. Right. Scotty, let's uh, transition uh, to Israel. As uh, you're in Moscow, I'm in New Jersey. We just interviewed Professor Sachs in Cambodia. But as we all speak... <laughs> Uh, opening arguments are being made at The Hague in the uh, South African uh, complaint against uh, the government of Israel for engaging uh, in genocide. Um, is this an issue in Russia? Um, of course it is. Uh, the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, um, has made numerous statements uh, talking about uh, the crimes of uh, the Israeli government towards the Palestinian people and the, the need for Palestine Uh, and the Palestinian people to have their own state. Uh, judge, the, the Russian people are as well informed about global issues as uh, you can imagine. As I said, these are not people, they're not local yokels. They, uh, they don't live in log cabins uh, and, and run around with bears, uh, although they do live in log cabins and run around bears, but that's just for fun. Uh, but they, These are sophisticated people. They have access to the Internet, uh, the same information that we have access to. There's no censorship here. Uh, right. And there are people that are very focused on global events. So the Russian people know all too well about what's happening in uh, Gaza, what Israel is doing. And they also know what the position of their government is because their government It's not, this isn't a dictatorship. This is a government that's responsible to the Russian people and keeps the Russian people informed. There is 
near total transparency here on policy decisions. And so the Russian government, uh, including its president, have made numerous statements about this situation. And uh, the Russian people are as appalled about what's happening in Gaza as anybody who has a conscience should be. We're going to play the uh, opening statement of the lawyer for South Africa. It's just about um, a minute, uh, 30 seconds uh, in length. Uh, Pavel, you're welcome to do a running translation if you, it's in English. You're welcome to do a running translation uh, if you wish for Alexander. But uh, uh, Scott, you, uh, Professor Sachs, Professor Mearsheimer, me, uh, have all I have all looked at this uh, complaint. It is astounding in its detail. The dot, the information is public. The language in the complaint out of the mouths of Israeli leaders is utterly damning. But here's the opening remarks of the lawyer for South Africa before the International Court of Justice just a few hours ago today. The violence and the destruction in Palestine and Israel did not begin on the 7th of October 2023. The Palestinians have experienced systematic oppression and violence for the last 76 years. On 6 October 2023 and every day since October the 7th, 2023. In the Gaza Strip, at least since 2004, Israel continues to exercise control over the airspace, territorial waters, land crossing, water, electricity, and civilian infrastructure, as well as over key government functions. No armed attack on a state territory, no matter how serious, even an attack involving atrocity crimes, can provide any justification for or defense to breaches to the convention, whether as a matter of law or morality. Israel's response to the 7th of October 2023 attack has crossed this line and give rise to the breaches of the convention. This is a slam dunk to you and to me. The evidence is overwhelming and it's from public sources. Do you expect that the American government will do something to undermine the credibility or even the even the deliberations of this court? I think the the United States government will allow the deliberations to go forward. There's not much we can do about it. Um, I think if the court reaches, as I believe and you believe it should, uh, the conclusion that Israel has committed genocide or is preparing to commit genocide, um, then the United States will take actions that, um, that will prevent any uh, accountability uh, toward Israel. We will veto anything from the Security Council, and we will seek to undermine and prevent and block any General Assembly uh, initiatives. But uh, the fact of the matter is, this indictment, as you said, is a slam dunk, and um, Israel is forever stained by this. This is... Uh, you know, this is the beginning of the end of the Israeli state as we know it. I'm not saying that Israel will go away, but whatever emerges from this crisis will be an Israeli state that uh, is not governed by the people it's currently governed by and uh, will not uh, engage in the kind of actions that it has because the world has rejected this. And uh, if Israel's not careful, uh, it'll find itself canceled by the world. Is uh, Benjamin Netanyahu in control of his own government, or is he uh, held captive by the extremists in his coalition, whom, if they departed, would deny him a majority in the Knesset? 
he's a he's a prisoner of his own ideology. He has created a government um, that can only exist uh, by bringing in the worst of the worst, uh, the far right wing of the uh, is it, you know the Israeli uh, political spectrum. These are the people who call for genocide. Judge, you said it. They, they, you know we're talking about statements made in public by Israeli officials including the prime minister, that are genocidal in nature. There's no other way to interpret what the Israeli government officials have said. Um, under normal circumstances, if, uh, if, if any government official went out on the limb on you know, articulating uh, you know, with, with vigor uh, support for a war crime, a crime against humanity, normally one would expect them at a minimum to be expelled from the government. But the Israeli government is composed almost entirely of these like-minded individuals who espouse hatred, who espouse death and destruction for innocent Palestinian people. They will be condemned by their own words, by their own actions. You will not have to you know, put together a circumstantial case against Israel. It's right there. Their mouths, their, you know, their, their hands, um, their bodies have, have provided the proof that they have committed genocide against the Palestinian people. Watch uh, this clip of Israeli soldiers dancing in the streets in, in Gaza, celebrating uh, their uh, genocidal slaughter of Gazan civilians. Now, you're going to see it in the context of another opening statement by another lawyer uh, for... That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. South Africa, who has chosen to play this tape, uh, which is publicly available, uh, as part of his uh, opening remarks. On 7 December 2023, Israeli soldiers proved that they understood the Prime Minister, Minister's message to remember what the Amalek has done to you as genocider. They were recorded by journalists dancing and singing. We know our motto, there are no uninvolved that they obey one commandment, to wipe off the seed of Amalek. The Prime Minister's invocation of Amalek is being used by soldiers to justify the killing of civilians, including children. These are the soldiers repeating the inciting words of their Prime Minister.
I think it is a slam dunk case, uh, Scott. I don't know what conceivable defense the Israelis are going to present, but their defense starts tomorrow. What 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 arguments can they make uh, in the face of irrefutable evidence of genocidal intent, genocidal purpose, and genocidal acts? I think the, the Israeli defense will be um, one that emphasizes what they will say are isolated acts, that the events of October 7th so um, insulted the Israeli nation that uh, there, there were isolated events of excesses, but it does not represent a genocidal policy that the Israeli government, uh, they will argue, is the most humane government in the world when it comes to these issues. The Israeli army is the most moral army in the world. They'll, they'll try to make that case, but it's a, an awful lot like, uh, you know, Adolf Hitler trying to argue that the Waffen-SS is just a sadly misunderstood institution, or the Ukrainian government trying to argue that the Azov Battalion is a, is a vocal minority, ignore uh, the murders and the crimes that they've done. Uh, I think the case will fail. So, um, the ICC, the International Criminal Court, has indicted President Putin because he saved babies from the dangers of war. Why doesn't the same court indict Prime Minister Netanyahu for intentionally slaughtering 21,000 civilians? I mean, who do you know could defend morally the slaughter of 21,000 civilians? Nobody can defend the slaughter of 21,000 civilians. But the problem is the International Criminal Court is a court in name only. It is a extension of American foreign policy and national security policy objectives where the United States has uh, seized international law, the concept of international law, to pursue its own targeted uh, things. As you know, justice is supposed to be blind. Uh, but when you selectively prosecute or you manufacture a case uh, for prosecution. Understand that the ICC will never uh, try Vladimir Putin. They never will. This indictment is 100% politically motivated right. to create the perception of Ukrainian moral superiority over Russia. Uh, the International Criminal Court is a joke. It's a travesty. Unlike the International Court of Justice, which is founded in international law and is, uh, is, is, is part and parcel of the United Nations and it adheres to the values enshrined in the United Nations Charter. I only wish that the International Criminal Court operated the same way because A, there would be no indictment of Vladimir Putin and B, Benjamin Netanyahu would have been arrested and uh, appeared on the docket and hopefully uh, jailed for the rest of his, uh, his life. Uh, Alexander, uh, what do the uh, Russian people think about what the Israeli government and the Israeli military is doing in Gaza. Александр, а что думают россияне о том, что делает правительство Израиля и вооруженные силы Израиля в Газе? Вы знаете, для россиян для нас всегда очень важна справедливость. You know, for Russians, uh, an important value for us is uh, justice. И в этой ситуации мы видим, что справедливость не на стороне Израиля. And in this situation, we believe that justice is not on the side of Israel. Да, трагедия 7 октября она ужасна, и мы не спорим, что Хамас это террористическая организация. The tragedy of the 7th of October is horrendous, and we do not uh, argue 
Но, к сожалению, правительство Израиля превысило все возможные пределы ответа. И вот в моих глазах, а я думаю, так думают и большинство россиян, правительство Израиля сейчас выглядит не менее террористической организацией, чем Хамас, а, возможно, даже и значительно более. And the government of Israel, in its response, has uh, exceeded um, all possible um, measure of retaliation. And I guess, um, in, in, in my own eyes, and I think that uh, the same applies to many Russians, the Israeli government looks um, um, as an equally terrorist one at the moment. И я не сомневаюсь, что подавляющее большинство россиян uh, сочувствует именно Палестине в этой ситуации. And I have no doubt that uh, most of the Russians um, support um, Palestine in this situation. Uh, thank you. Uh, Scotty, um, uh, we're going to play your favorite retired admiral commenting on the official view of the Biden administration. This is cut 16, Chris, of the uh, South African complaint. South Africa has filed this 84-page lawsuit against Israel, accusing them of genocide. Israel says that this is blood libel. Does Washington agree? And where does this put Washington and Pretoria? We find this uh, submission meritless, counterproductive, and uh, completely without any basis in fact whatsoever. Could he undermine Joe Biden any more than he has? meritless, counterproductive, and without basis. In fact, it is profoundly filled with merit, and it is totally based on fact. Well, it just shows that words are meaningless to the Biden administration. Uh, one of the things that I've learned in dealing with Russians and the Russian government is that words matter, that when an official speaks, they are very careful about the words they use because words have meaning. Um, and what... Uh, you know, Admiral Kirby has done here is shown that to the United States government, words mean nothing, that literally uh, he can say things uh, to become a politically, um, you know, acceptable soundbite. But as you pointed out, to say something's meritless when it has merit means that his words have no meaning. Um, this is an embarrassment. As an American citizen, I'm embarrassed by Uh, John Kirby's performance. I'm embarrassed by the actions of the Biden administration. But, you know, again, what do we expect? This is the United States government's doing this for some time. I need only say uh, there uh, are weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. We have oh irrefutable <laughs> proof that there's weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. They're here, they're everywhere. There were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. It seems that the U.S. government uh, exists uh, for the sole purpose of lying to the American people lying to the world, and that's what John Kirby just did. Uh, I'm going to show you another embarrassing comment, this by uh, Lord David Cameron, who's the former Prime Minister of Great Britain and is now the Defense Secretary. He was testifying yesterday uh, before a parliamentary committee that was trying to extract from him and his chief deputy, who talks like this and it's difficult to follow him, um, exactly how many UK hostages Uh, are in Gaza and how many have been returned. And they, they keep using a bizarre phrase about people highly connected to Britain. And I wonder if you can see or read through this. Take a listen to this. Be specific about the number of uh, UK nationals who remain as hostages. Yes, there are two. 
um, and British do we have nationals. proof of life? There, there are two British nationals that remain as hostages. I don't want to make any further comment um, uh, on, on them. There are also, of course... Do we, do we know they're alive, though? I, I, I just don't want to say any more. I don't, we don't have any information to share with you. Um, there are also, of course, um, uh, people connect, very connected to Britain um, who are also hostages. A few of us were in Doha in December where we met with Roger Carstens, who is the US hostage negotiator. He can tell me in a minute's notice the names of all the hostages who are American who are still being held by Hamas, let alone the ones in Venezuela or anywhere else in the country. And he can most certainly tell me how many have been brought back to the UK, uh, back to the US. How many have been brought back to the UK who had US, uh, UK citizenship? There, there, there are two, uh, as the Foreign Secretary mentioned, you have British nationality yeah. who are hostages. There are others who are connected to the UK through, through yeah. family ties. I think the answer to your question is brought back to the UK by the UK government is, is I think, it will I have to confirm. I don't really care who isn't... brought them back. I care yeah. about yeah. British nationals who were held hostage. <coughs> How many have been brought back? Uh, let me let me confirm after this, but I, you know, I'll speak for myself rather than for the foreign I don't think there are any. Yeah. Okay. So the answer is zero. Yeah, I think that's right. Think they're trying to hide. Who could these people connected to the British government be? Is he talking about MI6? Is he talking about people with dual British and Israeli citizenship? Is he talking about uh, British troops? No, no, no. What he's talking about is that in, um, in, in, in the UK social circles, financial circles, etc., there are British, there are families of UK citizens who have uh, family members who are not UK citizens, but who travel often to the UK and play a, par a very important role in the financial, the real estate, and the economic aspects of the UK. So they are uh, UK citizens and everything, but um, but having a passport, they're very closely connected. And uh, the families of these people are putting pressure on the British government to, uh, to, to try and get them released, even though they aren't passport-carrying UK nationals. Uh, they're, they're, they're people that have extremely close ties to the political and economic elites of the UK. Okay. Uh, last question for you, and then I have one more uh, for Alexander. Um, were you surprised uh, at all the nonsense uh, perpetrated by the Secretary of Defense, a former four-star general going AWOL for two weeks, not telling his bosses about his medical condition, uh, transferring uh, power to his um, deputy who learned of this while she was on a beach or in a hotel in Puerto Rico and attempted to manage the, the Defense Department from there. How reckless and irresponsible potentially criminal is this? It's the most reprehensible behavior one can imagine from a Secretary of Defense who has a duty and responsibility to the American people and to the American Constitution to be available to do his assigned duties. And if he can't do his assigned duties, he must uh, transfer command uh, in a legal manner uh, to um, his, his deputy uh, who must be able to carry out these tasks. Uh, you know, there, there's two aspects of this. Uh, one is, can you imagine a situation where Vladimir Putin didn't know where Marshal Shoigu was, uh, where for three days Vladimir Putin just wandered around Moscow, 
not caring at all what's happening in the special military operation, not questioning why he's not getting a briefing from Marshal Shoigu about things that are happening. No, it's unimaginable. No coherent government, no responsible government would tolerate this. And yet the Biden administration, the President of the United States, wasn't asking any questions about where his Secretary of Defense was while the United States is engaged in warlike activities on the European continent, while we have forces that are claimed to be deterrent forces, meaning they're ready to use military force at any moment in the Middle East, while we are talking about the potential of armed conflict against North Korea and China and the Pacific. And he didn't wonder where his Secretary of Defense was. And let's take it to not so extremes. Uh, because I'm not saying that Russia would ever launch a preemptive nuclear strike against us, but nuclear deterrence only works if the other side believes that if they attack you with nuclear weapons, you will destroy them as a result. Therefore, don't attack us. The Secretary of Defense is an indispensable part of the nuclear response system. And when he is not available and his deputy is not briefed and available, you have created a system that will not function as intended. Therefore, the possibility exists that a hostile force could attack us and we would not respond in a timely fashion. Therefore, we've lost all deterrent value. Joe Biden has done so much harm to the American people by allowing Lloyd Austin. And I have to say that my heart goes out to Lloyd Austin. Prostate cancer is a very serious disease, and I hope he recovers well. But that's not an excuse for failing your constitutional responsibilities to the American people to be available to do your job that we demand of you. And uh, this is a failure of Austin. He should be fired or resigned. He needs to be replaced. And this is a failure of Joe Biden. It shows the absolute incompetence of the American government today under Biden's leadership. Alexander, do you have any comments uh, for the American people, maybe to American businessmen? You're a Russian businessman. What would you say to American uh, businessmen and women uh, who are looking for the opportunity to uh, invest uh, in Russian assets? Александр, а вот что бы вы могли сказать американским гражданам, американским бизнесменам, предпринимателям, кто интересуется возможностью инвестировать в Россию? Я бы сказал, что Россия сейчас один из самых перспективных рынков в мире для инвестиций. Можно в нее инвестировать, можно инвестировать, мы справимся сами. У нас много стран, которые сейчас инвестируют и дружественных к нам по отношению. Но народу Америки я бы еще хотел сказать вот что. I would say that uh, Russia is currently one of the most promising markets in the world and uh, you're welcome to invest or may, you may choose not to invest. We can mm, do things ourselves. We've got uh, partners in other countries who can uh, work with us. But uh, to the American people, I also want to say this. И в России, и в США много проблем. Я думаю, что вместо того, чтобы направлять огромные деньги, порядка уже 200 миллиардов долларов, по-моему, страчено на финансирование нацистского режима на Украине, американское правительство с большим успехом могло истратить эти деньги на улучшение жизни простых американцев. In Russia, as I'm sure in the US, there are many problems, and instead of spending close to 200 billion US dollars, I think that the financing of the Nazi regime in Ukraine currently amounts to. The U.S. government would have been better off spending this money to improve the lives of ordinary Americans. Uh, 
На эти деньги можно было построить школы, дороги, улучшить образование, медицину, то, что нужно простым людям. This money could be used to build schools, to build roads, to improve education, to improve healthcare, to apply this money to purposes that um, um, importance for ordinary Americans. Вместо этого обогащается фашистский режим в Киеве, который благодаря этим деньгам гонит простых украинцев на убой. Погибло уже около 500 тысяч украинцев. But instead, this money is used to enrich the fascist regime in Kyiv, which uses this money to send uh, their people to be slaughtered. Currently, more than 500,000 uh, Ukrainians have already died in this conflict. И глобалисты, и владельцы оружейных компаний Соединенных Штатов Америки. Пусть американский народ задумается, нужно ли им это. And this money is also used to enrich the globalists and uh, the producers of weapons in the U.S. So I guess uh, it's up to the Americans to think whether that is good use of the money. А тех, кто хочет дружить, мы с удовольствием ждем в России и туристов, и предпринимателей, и всех, кто хотел бы узнать нашу страну поближе. And those who are willing to be friends with us, we are in inviting to Russia, be it uh, businessmen or businesswomen or tourists, uh, we are um, open to contacts with you. Thank you, um, Alexander Zhiryanov. Thank you, Pavel Eshov. And of course, Scott Ritter, thank you very much for joining us. Scotty, we'll see you again soon, whether it's from Moscow again uh, or nice, freezing cold New York State. <laughs> okay, Judge. Well, thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, a busy day for you. We just finished, as you saw, Ritter live from Moscow. Uh, we have Carl Anzalone at three. We have Professor Mearsheimer at Carl Anzalone at two, Professor Mearsheimer at three, and the Intelligence Community Roundtable at 4.30. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.